Let's do this, man. Like, this is pissing me off. Well, I've enjoyed chatting with you all. I, I don't feel likewise. that way. Okay. Well, you don't well, have to I feel do. that way. That's my so. feelings. You don't have to accept them. That's just how I feel. That's one of my goals for this upcoming work year is to have more boundaries and less consideration for what people think of me. We're going to June 20th, 1999. Jen, what was going on in 1999? Prince made a song. Party like it's Sorry. How about you 
just realize there's no God. <laughs> I hope your parents hear that one. I don't like that. I don't. Uh, I hope you realize there is one and you repent. No. Donna McHughes, she's a 58-year-old mother, happy mother, soon-to-be grandmother. Now, she is going to church later today. Her service starts at 1030. So she is getting ahead by doing her laundry early. Her dirty laundry? Yeah, her laundry early and only then will she go to church. Now, as you're going to hear, Donna is extremely involved in church. And when she is in the laundromat, that's what she's thinking. She's already getting revved up to go. She's already humming Amazing Grace to herself, and she's just doing laundry. Also keep in mind that the crime rate in Percy, Illinois, since it's such a small town, is basically non-existent. Donna likes to pull... 0.001%. Donna likes to pull in around back, and the door is wider there. She brings laundry from her whole family, and the owner, Wayne, doesn't really mind because, like I said, you know, there's no crime, so the doors are all always unlocked, always open. So we're at the Percy laundromat, 8.30 a.m. Is it a 24-7 laundry? I don't think so. I think they close late at night, but I'm not sure. It's no longer there, I'll tell you that. So the machines are quiet. She's the only one in there. 8.30 a.m. in the morning. Quiet outside. You saw the street. No one's there. Even today, there's less than a thousand people that live there. Very small village. No DoorDash there. There's no restaurants there. Actually, there's one uh, Mexican Katina there Mm. that I saw that's right by that place. But the only sound in that laundromat is... Whirring of the laundry machines? No, there's no machines going. It's quiet. She is humming. She's humming amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved saved a wretch like me another sound drip 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 there's a leaky faucet drip 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 see I would have used that to remix my amazing grace amazing grace how sweet drip the sound drip that saved drip a wretch drip like me drip 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 that's just how my brain operates that's how I like my women drip drip Uh ew like more of like a syphilis drip can you stop it and you Donna drops a quarter now remember this is a 58 year old soon to be grandmother she drops a quarter she's in there humming by herself the quarter hits the floor. Ding! Shit. You know, being kind of older, she has to kind of brace herself to get down a little bit. She picks it up off the chip linoleum floor and she leans back up and she's just having a good time. She's getting this done. She's got to make church service and she's still got to go home. She's got a lot on her mind, but she is in a great place. Great place. Her life is, her life is beautiful. Her daughter is beautiful and she's just very happy. This quarter drops. She bends down and she picks it up. Now she is facing the machine. Okay. The laundry machine. And to her left, Jim, please pay attention. To her left is the front entrance of the laundromat. Y'all are about to piss me the fuck off. To her left is the entrance to the laundromat. I'm paying attention. I'm looking at the camera. Drip, drip, drip. To her left is the entrance to the laundromat. She is facing the machine. She just picks up this quarter. She puts it in the little slot. She puts her thumb on the little lever to go and push it in. And then her peripheral vision catches something that spooks her. Oh, something sinister. Now, this is 830 in the morning. Keep in mind. It's not her direct vision. She doesn't dare to look directly at what she sees, but she does see a silhouette. Before even the silhouette registers into her vision and then the neurons in her brain, okay, there's a silhouette. Before that even happens, her body sends this sense of dread that 
flushes over her mm. a sense of fight or flight. Oh. A sense of everything stops, adrenaline spikes. The only thing that matters is this thing to the left of my vision. In my peripheral, I can't even see it, but I'm not daring to look at it. She's not going to dare look at this thing. That's like if Nicole entered my peripheral. Finally, she gets the courage to turn her head to see the silhouette. The reason she is so creeped out is because the silhouette is in the window. You know, a laundromat, like I showed you, they have these big windows. Right. So you can see all the machines. Yeah. And that it's busy and that you should do your laundry there. Because not everyone has a laundry machine in 1999. Actually, most people probably do. Jen, a lot of people don't have it now just because you're privileged. You know, a lot of people don't. You know, when I was in Afghanistan, you know how they wash their clothes? How? In the river. The same river that I peed and pooped in the whole time I was there. <laughs> Why? Because you were too shy to go in the stall? <laughs> what stall? Yeah, what stall? Like the, the Katrine or the can, can Latrine? Latrine, Latrine. Canteen and Latrine are very different. Jen, I, lived, I lived on a mountain for about four months. Where, where do you think, do you think they have businesses up there? No, I just thought that there was like a, a, a bathroom hole that in, in a mountain filled with IEDs. Oh, so here know. we go, Jen. Bring in all these memories back. You did this to yourself. All right. Oh, I saved this country for yourself. You, did. you saved this country. All right, Jen. How many times can I, have, I have your other warm beer or your shot that you're not going to drink? Yeah, give her, give her. Nikwee's never drinks beer. Give her a beer. I want her to celebrate with us. No, with you. All right. Finally, she gets the courage. She knows she has to look. So she just does it. She turns her head and that's when she sees it. A man looking into the window, not going like this, like, oh, what do I see? Maybe I can steal some quarters, you know, trying to look in. This man is steel and she doesn't see his facial features or anything because like a lot of killers that we study on this podcast, something about the eyes. Ooh, dead inside. So a few things here. Number one, there's a glass separating her from this maniac and a wooden door, which he'll have to push open. She is kind of at the back of the laundromat. Like I said, she comes in from the back because the door's wider. And so she's kind of at the back. But you saw the Google Earth. The back is what? Not even 50 feet away? Mm, give or take. Her senses are now heightened. She does not want or cannot let this man out of her sight. No. But she knows she has to see him straight on. So finally she turns her head and her eyes connect with the eyes of her stalker. Oh. Those eyes held a quality that was not entirely human. Something wicked and demonic lurking beneath the surface, making her shiver in fright. There were twin black holes, infinite and terrifying, filled with a darkness that seemed to crawl and wriggle with unspeakable horrors. Twin black holes. We've talked about eyes like that before. These killers had those. Like Ted Bundy had those. His are nice and blue, the Zac Efron. And if you can not look at his six-pack... Or they at just, his unibrow. They engulf you. You cannot not look at these eyes, but his were black, twin black holes, dark as night, and there was nothing inside. This man was at the window staring at this 58-year-old doting mother, about to be grandmother, as she was about to push this lever into her laundry machine. 
twin black holes. She was trapped in his gaze like a predatory cat salivating over its next meal. I'm getting a little like, you know, verbose with this. I know. Mm-hmm. Donna McHughes, she is now heightened in senses. Now, keep in mind, she's wearing her church garb. She's about to go to church 1030. And a little bit about her worshiping routine. She was there every Sunday and Wednesday for services. She always sat on the third pew, like a, not at the very front, but from the front, the third pew, because she didn't want to come off as try hard. But she didn't want to sit at the back row because she kind of occasionally wanted to catch the preacher's eye. What I'm trying to say is she knows her religion, her Christianity, more than probably anyone else in the sleepy town of Percy, Illinois. And the reason I say that is because she has heard details and details and details from the good book about what a demon truly looks like. She's never seen a devil, but those eyes, those eyes washed over her a sense of pure dread. She knew she was dealing with some kind of demon. She's trying to remain calm at this point. And if she was a little younger, she would freak out, but she's 58. So she kind of knows what to do. She doesn't want to take off running because she knows he'll just chase him. She knows he's there for her. That's the only reason he's there. So she is thanking God that she parked right outside the back door and she starts slowly just kind of walking that way. But now she notices that this man at the window with these eyes, he's starting to match her pace. He's starting to walk towards the door. Don't run, Donna. Don't run. He will catch you. She's fiddling with her keys in her pocket. I've got to get to my car. I've got to. At this point, she's humming Amazing Grace, trying to get her strength, trying to get her courage. And she is just, this is her moment. Either she lives or dies at this moment. Soon that front door swings open, breaking off its lower hinge, and she lets out a terrible yelp. Ah! She, oh God, I didn't mean to, but then she's just running. She runs through the back door and she's running across the parking lot to her car, her trusted Honda Civic. Hopefully it would turn over. Hopefully the engine will start. You know, it never does the first time, right? She makes it in. She doesn't keep it locked. What's the point? No one's there to steal anything. She opens the door. She sees the man running, just opened the back door. Now he's running towards the parking lot and she puts the key in the ignition and it takes a few times. She knows that. This isn't some horror movie. She knows it takes a few times, right? But that man is running to her car, ready to pounce on her. She is humming Amazing Grace, trying to find... God, please, please, God. Eventually, that engine turns over right as his hand touches that window and her foot puts that pedal to the floor. She's gone. Mm. She jumps the curb, almost busting her tire out. Donna later recalled, they say death has many faces, but for me, it will always be his twisted face. I could see his cold black eyes staring at me through the glass of the laundromat window. She survives, not knowing how close she came to a very brutal demise. A man so vicious and so destructive and violent. She was seconds, milliseconds away, as you're going to see in some of these other victims, from a very horrid death. Yes, that's him. That's the guy. The officer replied, you're a very lucky woman. This is the man we want for a whole string of murders. He was probably stalking you. You were going to be his next victim. You may have heard Morbid try to do this story. (laughs) 
<laughs> Who? <Yeah. laughs> I, I've never listened to that podcast. Me neither. Well, Do I, 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 I don't, don't listen, listen to anybody. <laughs> I don't listen to podcasts except uh, for ours. Is that weird? Like it just kind of. No, you're just a fucking true. narcissist. What up? No, that's Oregonian my sister. Five hundred three. Oregonian thug. He always thinks that this is not actually live. Let's see what he asks. It's us. not fucking live. This is pre-recorded. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh. That's exactly what he says. All Thank right. you, Martin. That was June twentieth. That was that not scary, creepy, Cre- creepy as fuck. This was yes. eight thirty in the morning, and she knew that this guy was going to do horrible things to her at eight thirty in the morning in a laundromat. What kind of guy would do this? Some. Creep. A guy that has most likely killed about 80 people before he was finally caught. Dang. So that was June 20th when I'm starting. Let's go two weeks prior. Let's let's talk about someone who actually meets him firsthand. And to do this, let's go to Houston, Texas. Wow, he's traveled a bit. Yeah. That's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Because that's the story started in where, Jim? Illinois. Percy, what? Illinois. Town of less than a thousand people. You think I don't pay attention, but I do. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I do. Yeah, you do. Here's where we're at tonight. This is Houston, Texas, 6900 block of Van Eaton Street. And it's a duplex. So I'm thinking it's this one right here, maybe. But this is the neighborhood. It's actually a pretty nice neighborhood that we're going to tonight. Now, this is also kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, let's back out a little bit, right? I mean, more people than the other one, but. Yeah. Um. So this this house is on the street. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a normal house. It's where we're going to tonight. Two weeks prior. Nothing special about this. A 26-year-old teacher, Jen. 26-year-old teacher. This is her. Can you describe her? She looks like she still has hope for the future, which is not common among teachers of today. That is depressing. Well, it's true. You got to pay your educators. Teachers get treated like shit. I'm not a teacher, but I am in the education field and teachers get shat on so much. We're not responsible for raising your children, but people make it think that we are. You know what? You need to raise your kids at home. And for the parents that do, thank you. For the parents that put it on the teachers, you need to do better. Jen, here's the thing. They're never going to pay you more unless y'all get other jobs. It's a supply and demand thing. Why would they pay you more when there's plenty of people that would be teachers? aren't though there's a mass exodus of the of the teaching profession and that's how it should be that's how you get to be paid more well it's not working especially in where we're located i'm glad i'm not a teacher i'm glad that i have the degrees that i have because if i didn't and if i was a teacher i'd be fucked i'm not saying i make a lot because the education system where we're at is also fucked but i mean you know that's what it is if you're in there to enrich the lives of young people you get a gold star actually you get 12 gold stars not 10 but 12 and you know what i appreciate you. But if, if you know, if you are not in the education field and you don't understand why this is a problem, then you need to get educated. Like, because we're trying to, to, to build the youth of our nation, build them up, teach them things. But you know what? We can't, we can't do it under the demands. There's more demands. There are more and more and more each year. And that's not even for teachers. I'm just talking from a school counselor perspective. June 4th, 1999. This is Friday, two weeks prior. Tonight, we're talking about a teacher. I just showed her to 
you, Noemi Dominguez, a 26-year-old teacher. She was a teacher at the Benjamin Franklin Elementary School, but she may return. But she actually is going to get her master's degree. So she is on cloud nine. She had saved up some money and now she is pursuing her master's degree, hopefully to get you know more pay as a teacher. But either way, she loves her job and she's the sweetest person in the world. Dominguez described as the sweetest, nicest teacher, a darling who went the extra mile, recently had left her job at Franklin Elementary to complete her master's degree. She loves the home she's living in, but the only problem she has with it is, as you saw in the Google Earth, she's right next to the train railroad, which I grew up sort of near a railroad, about 100 yards away from it. So I know how that feeling is. It does kind of shake your house a little bit, and it is kind of annoying but you do get used to it. Either way, she would like to move. She has eight siblings and she's the worried one. In fact, her younger sister, Brenda, would always hear the same thing. Brenda, the world is dangerous out there. You know, I think you should get new locks on your house. Maybe you should move back in with dad. I'm just really worried about you. They were best friends and they were actually supposed to meet the next day. Now, this is a Friday night and she had been up for the last few hours from what I've seen in my recent research. She's about to publish a children's book teaching Japanese. So she's actually writing Japanese symbols. I guess she's fluent. And her and Brenda, her sister, that's what they were going to meet up tomorrow. They were going to finish this book. And I'm sure it would have been amazing. 11 p.m. goes by. She lays down for bed. Another train passes, rumbles her home. You know, it's kind of quiet though. I mean, the train does kind of lull her to sleep a little bit. Now, the next day when her brother finds her body, I will say the crime scene was disgusting and violent. And honestly, we don't know if she was alive Mm. during the attack, but whoever came into her home had some rage, anger. It was overkill. And like I said, we don't know if she was alive Live during the attack. All we know is that the pickaxe that was used on her head had entered her brain in her forehead as she laid on her bed with such a speed and aggression that the tip of that pickaxe had traveled through and out the other side. It was violent. It was it it was unspeakable. I I can't even find words for it. It was terrible. A pickaxe that she had in her garage. I don't know why she would have a pickaxe, but there was her pickaxe. This man, she didn't even know he was there until maybe she saw his silhouette. He must be a soft walker. The man charged at her with the pickaxe, raising and descending with brutal speed and strength. It was over in moments and ghastly finale played out in her once cozy bed. A, A ghastly finale played out on her once cozy bed. Her body was found the next morning by her brother Alejandro and he would say this. I lifted this quilt my mother made for her and a few articles of clothing, said Alejandro Dominguez, now a 20-year-old Arizona State University law student. Honestly, I jumped back and I think I shrieked. That would be something horrible, seeing your own sister like that. Her body was disfigured above the neck. The pickaxe was used primarily on her head. It wasn't just one hit. It was multiple. They also noticed that the body had been raped after death. Death. And not only that, a link that they're going to find with multiple murders here is that this man. 
man was so callous, so brazen to kill her, rape her, and then go down, rummage through her refrigerator. She had some leftover rice and chicken that she had made the following day. He helped himself to it, used the microwave, found the silverware drawer, pulled out a fork, ate it right out of a Tupperware. He even sat at the dining room table as she laid upstairs dead. They did catch this man. His name is... Last name is Ramirez. Oh, okay. And they did notice some pentagrams on the wall. Hmm. Your white whale, your second white whale. Are we going there? Huh? Are we doing this? <laughs> Are we doing this? Who wants to take a guess on who this killer is tonight? Would it be, are you are asking me or, or that, or Nicole? Oh Nicole my, or Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole. Oh, Doyle, <laughs> Oh, boil rules. <laughs> <gasps> or are we? Because you're getting everybody very excited. Oh, well, you know me. I like to get you guys all ramped up and then break you down. Tonight, we're talking about Angel Resendez-Ramirez, who did draw pentagrams on the victim's walls, but only because he was modeling after Richard Ramirez. Uh. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> So his name is... (laughs) Fuck you guys, man. (laughs) I feel like you have to be Richard Ramirez next, then. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) It is alleged that Angel... Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Are you drunk? No, she's reading it with the apostrophe. (laughs) Also, yes. So fuck you. It is alleged... And how? And how? That Angel Resendez... Are you fucking... Angel, angel, like the angel, an angel. That's his name. hell. No, angel. Fuck you. <laughs> his name is fucking I angel. I fucking know. She's reading it how she wants. <laughs> it is alleged that Angel Resendez then looked down at the body with an expression of fascination on his face. He studied the blood, the gaping wounds, the omnipresent power. It excited him when he looked at the corpse. Angel. Mm. It's hell. not. That's how it goes, you fucker. Oh, she dropped the book. It's not on hell, guys. It's Angel, the mother, his mother, when she gave birth, she didn't have a a name because in the Mexican tradition, it is a bad omen if you already name a baby and let's say miscarry. Oh, so you have to come up with a name. I didn't and know that. She named him Angel because she thought God had sent this angel, which turned out to be a straight fucking devil. So his name is Angel. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? What the fuck? Don't you think? I'm hell. I'm sorry. It's I'm hell. What the fuck? One link that they found with Angel Resendez Dash Ramirez. And yes, that is his name. Well, his name is Angel Resendez, but one of his aliases is Resendez Dash Ramirez because when he was in prison before the murder started, he found out about Richard Ramirez, who was popular at the time, and he took a liking to Richard Ramirez's style, his brutality, and his drawing of symbols. Mm. So Angel drew these devil symbols, but he didn't really know what they kind of meant. He just did it to copycat another killer, right? But still. Yeah, it, it, a pentagram, right? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, like no, it's upside down. Oh, a pentagram is an upside down scar? Sorry. Are you do Kanye West's with a swastika in it? Fucking. <laughs> I'm not even touching that. Like. <laughs> 
<laughs> you say Kanye, I say mm. goodbye shoe brand. What an idiot! <laughs> Way to throw. He has a new wife now. Well, obviously. That's not a Kardashian? Correct. Oh. She's another white girl. I think she bleached her head blonde and shaved it, if I remember correctly, if that's what she looks like. I could be wrong. Don't quote that, but whatever. I mean, you it, know, you know what? You know I remember what? One, one day I'm going to like actually be like a fully human person, like makeup what? and hair. One link that links this killer to a lot of his crimes is that he had the audacity to not only rape the victim's fridge, eat their leftovers, but he would also take a shower. He would use their body wash. The maniac claimed her leftovers as if they were trophies, a grotesque end note to his monstrous deeds as he sat in the harsh glow of her kitchen light, chewing thoughtlessly on her carefully prepared meals. The sheer horror of the night's events hung heavily in the air, a grim testament to the darkness that humanity can sometimes harbor. We are reading from a book, and I'm going to tell you what book we are reading from in a second. We're reading from two books tonight, but I don't want to give away something. So, Angel next takes her Honda Civic. The keys were easily found on her dresser, and I mean, honestly, it's not like she's going to need it anymore. Angel steals the Honda Civic, and he starts to drive for several hours. He ends up close to a community near Weimar, Texas, where a 73-year-old Josephine Convica had been long asleep because because it's now three in the morning. This is her right here. So wait, hold on a second. Are you telling me that he's going to steal this woman's car that he just bludgeoned to death with an ice pick? One lunatic, one ice pick? He takes out that ice pick, brings it with him into her Honda Civic, which he steals, drives three hours, and ends up at a 73-year-old grandmother's house who lives on a farm. She has a nice yellow-style barn, big yellow doors, very country, cows, pigs, chickens, and no one ever goes there. Let me show you where, let me show you where he drove here. So this is where he's going to go to next. You see, this is uh, way out in the country. It's off the, the main road, but there's no one around. And you see, just like all the other murder homes, it's been blurred out. Mm. So he takes that Honda Civic and he drives. And let me show you kind of where, almost where. So look at the Google Earth. So from where he at. He just killed a 26-year-old teacher and stole her car. He's going to drive all the way over here, which is a good good two hours, let's say, close to Weimar, Texas. This is three in the morning. So are you telling me he's going to drive and kill a 73-year-old woman? How does he even know this woman? This 73-year-old woman, Josephine, had long been asleep. Now, this is from the Clark County, Texas prosecutor office, and I'm letting Nicole read this because I thought it was pretty interesting, the wording at the end used. But can you read from the Clark prosecutor? From the Clark prosecutor on July 1st, authorities in Fayette County, Texas, identified DNA from Naomi Dominguez in Josephine Kanovic's home, indicating that after Resendez killed the younger woman, he drove her car to the other woman's home for more bloodletting. Ooh. For more bloodletting. He drove her car to the other woman's home for more bloodletting. The other woman. Okay. This woman, 
a 73-year-old grandmother who was just in the wrong home at the wrong time because he drove three hours, two hours, and he's just like, you know what? This is good. Who's on this side of the street? Has no idea who's in the house. Her burly six-foot-eight son could have been there with a shotgun. And this man, as you'll see, is five-foot-six. He's slender. Angel. Angel. He is tiny. And he is just wassing into anybody's home, not knowing who lives there. A tiny terror. And he is brutalizing these people. Luckily for him, Josephine's husband died a few years ago, so she's a widow and she lives alone. Luckily for him, she was sleeping. Luckily, or was he stalking her like he was McHugh's? Her pleasures were simple. This is Josephine. Spending time with her family, her devotion to her faith, and an occasional night of bingo. Her family always came first. She loved baking. Her family will always remember the delicious sugar cookies and poppy seed rolls that she always seemed to have on hand. Now, this man is going to brutally kill this woman with the same ice pick. Talk about hard to catch a killer who doesn't have the same MO. He's not going to rape this woman. She's too old to fit his, you know, his... Subway sandwich? She's too old to fit his uh, type. Mm. She's going to eat the cookies in her home and take a shower, but just randomly walking in there and killing her. Take a few jewelry things and some, maybe some cash, but that's it. How are you going to catch this guy? He doesn't leave this, he doesn't do the same things with every victim. He just does what he wants at the moment. From Angel Resendez versus State, appellant stole Dominguez's car and traveled to Shulam Texas, where he killed 73-year-old Josephine Convica with the same pickaxe he used on Dominguez. Appellant left the pickaxe embedded in Convica's head. Oh, no. How do you think they matched him? Well, the DNA of the 26-year-old teacher is embedded in the 73-year-old's head. So tonight we're talking about a spree killer so evasive and brutal that he actually booted off Osama bin Laden off the list and replaced him. This is him right here. Rafael Resendez Ramirez. Mm. His real name is Angel Resendez. He only goes by Ramirez. He has a slew of aliases Mm. all in the system. He's been arrested multiple times. The thing about this guy is he is not an American citizen. Oh, okay. He is a citizen of Mexico and not only that, how do you think, as we're going to talk about in our next episode, this man has killed in Kentucky. He has killed in Texas. He has killed in Florida. He has killed in Illinois. He does not have a car. He does usually steal the cars after. But how is this guy jumping from one place to the next, from one kill zone to the next? And number two, how do you catch a guy like that? How do you catch that? He's like, how is he doing it? A a week goes by and he's in a, a different state across the nation. He's in Florida. He's in uh, West Palm Beach. And a week later, he's in Kentucky. I mean, how is he getting around? He doesn't have a valid driver's license. He doesn't own a car. He's basically poor and he's traveling and killing. How is he doing it? You know what? Before I read this story, I always had in my mind, if you were going to be a serial killer of any type, this is the best way to do it. End of story. 
Are you giving people tips? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this is because this man killed probably 80 people. All right. And the FBI, the Texas Rangers, every law enforcement, the FBI most wanted list, the whole nation is trying to catch this guy. He's on the top 10 most wanted li- list boot- booted Osama bin Laden off. You can't catch him. I don't know if you all remember this murder or this guy or not, but. I mean, we were alive for it, but Mm. I don't know if I do or not. You have to give us some more Mm. details. The reason he can't be caught is because he's known as the Railroad Killer. That's the book we're reading tonight, The Railroad Killer. And he is hopping on trains. Oh. And that is extremely smart. Let's go back to the 26-year-old teacher, Noemi. She loves her home, but what? There's that train right there all the time. She's 100 yards or less away from a train track. This man is so brutal and violent that and uncatchable that he would ride the rails as a train hopper, not even a U.S. citizen. The train will come to a stop on whatever town to refuel or whatever. He would actually jump off before the train has even stopped rolling on the track, go into the first home he sees, no matter who's in there, he doesn't care, brutally murder, possibly rape the victim after death because he's small, so he's got to kill them first eat their food, take a shower, and then be back on the same train before it even departs. Dang. And then he would go all the way back down and cross the border to his town in Rodeo, Mexico, where his doting wife and newborn daughter would be waiting for him. Wow. So is he hopping like cargo trains? Or I mean, I can't imagine that he gets onto an Amtrak without a ticket like that. He's hopping union trains, just the freight trains. Mm. So that is a crazy story. And we're going to finish it up next time, next week, because it's been too long. But I want to stop this episode, August 28, 1997. This is two years before. Now, this is crazy right here. All right. So here's where I'm taking you right now. This is two years before. I'm going to stop it in the middle of this, just to let you know. But this is Edison Drive. This is in the University of Kentucky. And what do we have here? What is this? A train track, right? So University of Kentucky, Edison Drive. Oh, this wow. is a, a light bulb company that's no longer in business. Mm-hmm. I guess why they call it Edison Drive, but it's August 28, 1997. This is two years before all those brutal murders I'm talking about. This man is known as a spree killer. So yeah, about 80 murders. They think they can connect them to about 20 that he's done, but there are a lot more that they can't connect him to that they that he might have done. Plus, there could be copycat cat killers out there. And you, got, you know what a copycat killer is, right? is someone who sees, okay, this dude is riding the rails and killing women. I wonder if I could kill, because I really want to kill somebody and rape a woman, if I can do it with someone that lives right by the train track and they'll just think he did it. That's a copycat killer. Mm. So it could have been a lot of those too. But this woman we're talking about tonight, her name is Holly. She is a junior at University of Kentucky and it's summertime. It's August 28th and she's walking with her new boyfriend, Chris, and they're actually coming from a party and they love to walk walk by that train track. You know, they all do that. They're actually walking from one party to the next and Chris has a backpack with them. Now they're with a couple other people, but they kind of tell him, you know, we're just going to hang out and walk a little bit and we'll meet you at the party. This is in the middle of the night, 1 a.m. They're walking, talking, having fun. And Holly, the junior, she hears something and she knows that there's someone watching her. She knows that instinctively. 
And all of a sudden, a man jumps out of right where this is right here on the Google Earth. This is a, uh, it's like a power station for the, uh, for the trains. For the trains. So they're actually walking. Where's the university? Uh, they're walking this way on the track here on Edison Drive. And they're actually going to a party over here, a house party. And I'm on Google Earth, so I'm showing you guys if you're on podcast. But all of a sudden, a man jumps out from behind one of these electrical boxes. Now, this man had jumped off that train because they actually saw that train go by. And a man had jumped off of that train and he hid behind this box. Now, that man, Angel, he didn't know where he ended up. He just, he is an opportunist and a spree killer. So he's just going to, wherever he ends up. All of a sudden, he's not there. And then he's there right in front of this couple. Now, Chris is a, a big dude, right? He's uh, six foot. And Angel Menendez is five foot six. But yet, Angel has a knife. And he's not really intimidating, but he still has that knife. And he says, give me your money. Money. Well, we don't have any money. We're college students. You think I'm playing here? Eventually, he takes off Chris's backpack, holding the knife to him, and they comply. He takes his backpack, and this is something you never want to do. I told Nicole this yesterday. If someone breaks in your house and they want to tie you up, I would rather die right there to, than to be tied up. If you get tied up, you are done anyway. Mm -hmm. Do not ever lose that control. Right. If it comes to a point where you are being tied up, like that's your last, that's your last chance to do anything. You know, thrash like hell. Mm -hmm. Don't get tied up. Then you're fucked. You're fucked if you're tied up. So anyway, Chris complies. He's a gentle soul, as we'll hear in the next episode, but he complies. He gets on his knees and he says, we'll give you whatever you want. My keys are in my backpack. This man, Angel, Angel takes his backpack, straps and ties Chris's arms behind his back. Now they're still just thinking that this is going to be a, a mugging, a story to tell their kids. Holly starts to cry now. She's sensing that this guy wants more than money. She's sensing that she's going to be raped. He starts tugging at her belt loop, forcing her on the ground, still holding the knife. Chris is saying, don't hurt her. Don't hurt her. We'll give you anything you want. Just do not hurt her. And he is drunk, high on drugs and probably in an alcoholic psychosis, which is what the psychiatrist would eventually deem his psych problems as, which is crazy because I didn't know that was a thing. Man, I've heard of alcoholic psychosis, but I didn't know that you could actually see things and actually hallucinate if you're withdrawing from alcohol. Yeah, sure. So he is possibly in that state. He is drunk. You can smell it all over him. He ties up Holly and he also has Chris tied up and then he starts dragging him on his back onto the railroad tracks across the rocks, across the gravel, across the broken glass that's there. She's now sobbing, crying. She doesn't think that he's going to kill anyone, but then she sees him out of her peripheral carrying something that he can't even hardly carry. The killer angel is struggling with a humongous rock hmm. in his hand. He found this huge rock and he is stumbling trying to hold this thing up. Like, what's he going to do with this massive, massive rock? Does he kind of put it in his collection? 
Jen, you're on fire. Oh, wait, no, you're too drunk to read that. I'm going to read this. This is from a quiz. Div- is not too drunk to read that. You, I'm, you're kinda, is Jen. No. Uh, he doesn't think I can read. He, he took the rock and held it over Chris, who lay there, face down in the dense undergrowth. Chris didn't even see what was coming. And then, without a word, this utterly evil man let the stone drop. More than 50 pounds of rock came crashing down on Chris's head. She just saw her boyfriend get plummeted with a rock. 50-pound rock dropped straight on his head. He starts going at her, tugging at her corduroys, trying to get them off, pull her pants down. He's going to rape her. She then hears Chris gurgle. Please go, go help him. Turn his head so he doesn't choke. What she didn't know, but Angel did, is that gurgling was actually a death rattle. That's the last sound a body makes before it shuts down. Quote, you don't have to worry about him anymore, is what he said. She is raped at this point violently And she is now trying anything she can to survive. Begging doesn't work. So she tries to befriend him after he raped her, asking him, please, can you at least pull my pants back up? That was a big concern. If she dies here, she doesn't want to be found naked, you know? Mm. Can you please pull my pants back up? He does. And it actually was a whole thing, like, to to get it all the way up. So she thinks at this point that maybe she broke through and he's just going to leave her alone. She says thank you to this man who just dropped a rock on her boyfriend and she's going to live after all. Wow. But then Angel goes back and he picks up a two by four that was found on the side of the road, found on the side of the train tracks. And this is what... I'm going to read this. I don't remember him lifting some kind of board to beat me. I don't really remember the blows he dealt. The wounds he inflicted told this story later, but with renewed energy and unexpected rage, he raised this board and slammed it into my face over and over and over until it had lacerated my cheeks fractured my eye socket and broken my jaw. I turned my face around toward the ground, raising my right arm to block the blows. He struck me in the back of the head and split my scalp in multiple places. I slipped in and out of consciousness. By grace, I blacked out most of the beating and I didn't feel much pain, only the force and pressure of the blows. So Holly actually survived, even though Angel would later regret not finishing her off. He thought she was dead. He thought that everything was going to be fine, that she couldn't identify him ever. She drug him over, put her dying body on top of her boyfriend's corpse and covered it with some wood like that would be enough. But she says in her book, which we'll read next time, it's called Soul Survivor. This is Holly's story Mm. about the first murder that Angel's committed that we'll do in the next episode. It's going to be two episodes. Okay. But like Holly says, I'm going to remember your face, your scars, your tattoos, and I'm not going to forget because if I live through this, I will get you. Mm, Good for her. She actually lived through. So we're going to go over her story, that whole situation, detail by detail in the next one. But I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, That was uh, the railroad killer. We're going to talk about his background. He is a very vicious man who lives two two different lives, a loving, loving, doting husband and teacher to small children in Mexico and a a brutal rapist and murderer in the U.S. 
and he has been arrested multiple times. Mm. He was even let go by INS before some of the most, some of the worst murders. He's been traveling on the rails his whole life. He knows them by the, like the back of his hand and he is known as the railroad killer. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm I'm glad she survived and lived to tell the tale. I'm I'm very interested in seeing what she has to say next episode. So I hope I know it's kind of long, but I hope you guys like that. We'll finish it up next episode. I'll tell you all about him. It's weird because he has such a hate for Americans, which is why you see the intense violence he he puts on them. So it's only across the border where he he shows only kills his across other- the border. Yeah. Personality. In, in his small town of Rodeo, Mexico, he is the, one of the most respected people in the town. He's a teacher. He works with nuns in a Catholic school teaching children how to read. I mean, and he is uh, a brutal, brutal man. So it's, he's literally living a double life. He is an angel and a devil. Yeah. Mm. So that is who we're talking about. It's only going to be one more episode, but I do want to get her story out the way because it's a great story or it's a very compelling story. Plus, I can think I can do it better than Morbid did. But that's all I got on this one. And we'll be back. Nicole and I will be back this week to finish it up. I still haven't released all the Gary Heidnick stories, so I'm kind of like, you know, still behind. But that's all I got. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. I kind of run this shit.